We trust and rest in the name of Jesus and his power as we sing, as we preach, as we teach, as we deliver his word. Have you had a good week? Is God at work in your life? Can you see where he's addressing the needs? I hope you came prepared with your heart to hear his word this morning. We're sitting down with Jacob in Genesis chapter 33. If you have your Bibles, why don't you flip on over there. We've been sitting with the patriarchs, and today we are looking at a fearful moment a moment dreaded by the patriarch Jacob as he goes to confront and hopefully make peace with his alienated brother Esau, who is a man of the field, a military man, a scary fellow. Last time they uh, saw each other, Esau was ready to kill Jacob. I don't know how your relationships are going, I hope they're going well. I hope within this body of believers, the relationships are healthy. That's very important. If the Holy Spirit should bring to mind a face, a name, as we talk about reconciliation today, and you know suddenly that you have work to do, I hope you will do it. What I want to do with this text is read what happened with Jacob and Esau and then reflect upon it as an instruction for us who deal with people continually, who have family members with whom we sometimes disagree, and who must on occasion repair broken and bruised relationships. So everybody in the room sometimes has to do this. Maybe the alienation is not as evident and the distance as great as that between Jacob and Esau. But we want things to be right. When we sit together in the pew, when we gather together in Bible study, when we see one another in the hallway. And it is never easy to have people with whom your relationships are broken and you see them and you don't know what to say and they don't know what to say. And you both know there's a wall and a breach. Well, Jesus wants us to take this seriously. He sends us into the world as with the woman at the well. How are we going to help somebody looking for living water if we ourselves are dried up and parched and have broken relationships? How are we going to be a good Samaritan and love our neighbor if we can't love our brother or our sister? If love is dried up there, How is he going to deploy us into the world to make a difference? Everybody in the room has a role to play in the spiritual health of our community. And it makes a difference 
when you take the initiative to heal a broken relationship. So we're looking at Genesis 33. Now, Jacob has had this mighty experience with God, which is a prerequisite to coming to chapter 33. I mean, in chapter 32, he struggled with God. And he says, he named this place Peniel because I saw God face to face and yet my life was spared. Scripture says, the sun rose above him as he passed Peniel and he was limping because of his hip. The angel had touched his hip, and he had a permanent limp. But this physical problem that he came out of that wrestling match with was nothing compared to the spiritual power that came upon his life as his name was changed from Jacob to Israel, prince with God. Verse, 33, verse 1 of chapter 33. Jacob looked up, and there was Esau, coming with his 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two maidservants. He put the maidservants and their children in front, Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph in the rear. He himself went on ahead and bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. But Esau ran to meet Jacob. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. And they wept. Then Esau looked up and saw the women and children. Who are these with you? He asked. Jacob answered, They are the children God has graciously given your servant. Then the maidservants and their children approached and bowed down. Next, Leah and her children came and bowed down. Last of all came Joseph and Rachel, and they too bowed down. Sounds like something out of the sound of music, doesn't it? Huh? <laughs> Maidservants come, bow down. Leah comes, bow down. Rachel comes, bow down in waves. Esau asked, What do you mean by all these droves I met? To find favor in your eyes, my Lord, he said. But Esau said, I already have plenty. My brother, keep what you have for yourself. No, please, said Jacob. If I have found favor in your eyes, accept this gift from me. For to see your face is like seeing the face of God. Now, 
that you have received me favorably. Please accept the present that was brought to you, for God has been gracious to me, and I have all I need. I want to talk to you about four positions that I see here. That if you are to reconcile with a brother who is alienated, you are advised to assume. And I would start with saying, assume the humble position. Jacob takes courage. He goes ahead to meet his brother. He takes the initiative to go first. And that is necessary for reconciliation. And he is operating out of this position of humility, which he illustrates dramatically by bowing down to the ground seven times as he approaches his brother. He falls on his face before him, stands up, take a couple steps, falls on his face before him. I don't know that this physical activity is required for you to reconcile, all right? with your brother. It might startle your brother. I think it startled Esau. But seven times he bowed down before his brother as they were approaching. Maintaining and assuming this humble position is part of reconciliation. What caused the breach in the first place is likely pride. Your pride, their pride, the refusal to give in, the insistence that you have your way and that you are right. What likely caused the break in this relationship is a spirit that was somewhat arrogant and perhaps haughty. And so the first movement in reconciliation is to get that right. I know people that want to go and reconcile. and They want to confess their sin and the sin of their brother too. Okay? Hey, I know I did wrong, but you did wrong too. There's some real humility. That's not how you do it. If you really want the breach to be healed... You set aside trying to confess for the brother with whom you are alienated. You focus simply on the things that you yourself did wrong. You say, well, it was mostly him. Maybe so. But for the 20% or the 30% that it was you, that's all you take into consideration. You don't wait on the brother to wake up to the conviction that he has contributed most to this breach of fellowship. You go taking responsibility for whatever it was in you. And you go with a humble spirit. Humility involves patience. Men we frequently want to run into a relationship and immediately fix it. 
Just tell me what's broken, and we'll fix it. I think Jacob is preparing as he sends his troops before him and these waves of family members. He is preparing for a process of reconciliation. I don't know that he expects instant reconciliation. I don't know what he expects. Maybe he expects to be killed. I'm not sure what's going on in his heart. I know that he's made his peace with God, all right? And because he wrestled with God... All night long, he's prepared for whatever comes, and he has prevailed with God. And now, somehow, he's going to prevail in this relationship. So he goes forward with a confidence, a going for broke, and a humility. Just laying his heart before his brother. And literally, even laying his body prostrate before his brother. I told you once, somebody's going down, didn't I? Somebody's going down. If it's pride and arrogance and violence, then we take our brother down. We put him down. We chop him down. We cut him off. We win the argument. We win the battle. We think we have succeeded and prevailed. That's why Cain killed Abel. Somebody was going down that day. And Cain made sure that he put his brother down. We have inherited this mentality. You don't go down. You put your brother down. You put the other down. You put your foot on the neck of the defeated. Jacob has abandoned that whole notion. The very thing that causes the violence and murder in our city. Jacob the patriarch left it behind. He takes himself down. Not once, but seven times. Jesus taught us, if you lay down your life you can take it up again Jesus taught us this is love not that we love God but that he loved us and did what laid his life down for us this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus in a violent and troubled world instead of trying to put down the person with whom you have a conflict You put your own life down. This is love. This is humility. And this is power. You say, I'll never be that weak. No, you'll never be that strong. There's some things you can't win with your fists and your anger and your powerful personality. You will never win them. You will never heal them. You will never fix them. They are not powerful enough. The violence isn't strong enough to repair a relationship. You got to go down. You assume 
the humble position, you are willing to go down. You assume the servant position. You are willing to serve. It's interesting. Jacob calls himself your servant. These are the children God has graciously given your servant. How do you like that language? It's the word for slave. Later on, he calls... Esau, my Lord, the word for master. You're the master, I'm the servant. Jesus taught us that we've got to invert this pyramid of authority and power that we normally think of in the world. In fact, he said, look, I know out there in the world, the Gentiles... They rule over you. They dominate you. That's how it goes in the world. Top down, pyramid, and the guy at the top, he's the one that pushes everyone else down. It shall not be so among you. It shall not be so among you. It shall not be so among you. But anybody who wants to be great among you must be last and servant of all. Jesus said, even the Son of Man did not come to be ministered unto, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. We have a servant God. We serve the servant God who serves us. We protest over it over and over again. No, Jesus, I don't want you to be washing my feet. I can do this myself. I can keep the commandments. I can be as good as I can be, and I can win the favor of God. I don't want you to have to do it. It doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem right. Why should we depend on the sacrifice of Jesus upon the cross to make us right with God when all we, we've got all this potential for doing the right thing ourselves? So we don't want Jesus washing our feet. We want to do it ourselves. Peter said, you're never going to wash my feet. And Jesus' response is, unless you let me serve you by washing your feet, you have no part in me. Even to get into the kingdom of God, even to get your place at the table with God, you have to lay down all your pride all your pretension, all the possibilities that you can do it yourself, that you're going to make your own way. I did it my way. You've got to get rid of that theme song, even to get an audience in the presence of a holy God. You let the servant God wash your feet, and he serves you and teaches you how to serve others. So you assume the servant position in this broken relationship, ready to serve. My wife is a little uncomfortable when I tell this story, but honey, I'm going to tell him anyway, okay? <laughs> we had a seriously broken relationship in our family. Her sister, who literally got so angry at us, she threw us out of her house and slammed the door as she pushed us past it. And for a year, 
and more. We were alienated from that sister. And she did not speak nor call. And there was no dialogue between us. And in a rather advanced age, that sister with whom the relationship was still completely dead got pregnant. And when the time came for her to have that baby, Janet told me, I am going to go and take care of her for two weeks while she has that baby. And Janet called her first time we talked and said, I would like to come and care for you and the baby after that baby is born. I'm telling you, the sister who needed the help said yes. And that act of service brought back into the family a beautiful lady with whom we enjoy a wonderful relationship to this day and healed a breach in our family that troubled us all. And it happened because Janet was willing to serve. To serve her without thought of repayment, with no prerequisites, just, I want to be a servant to you. There may be a way for the Holy Spirit to show you how you can serve the brother with whom the relationship is broken, the sister with whom you have not spoken in years. There may be a way that God could show you a creative avenue through his spirit to become their servant and so build a bridge. We only are reconciled to God because Jesus serves us. And reconciliation is advanced and healing is brought as we serve one another. Assume the servant position as important as this position is and that of humility. They are not the center, the core of reconciliation. I am surprised when Esau says, what is all this? And Jacob says, to find favor in your eyes. Jacob is the trickster, you remember. He's the deceiver. He's the fellow who is figuring out the plan and the scheme. And he has demonstrated that in lots of different ways, particularly with his brother Esau. So Esau has a right to be on the watch for what Jacob is going to do, what sneaky plan this man might spring on him. And Jacob, who lost all his plans and schemes and ideas at Peniel when he struggled with God, just comes clean and honest. I want your grace. I want your favor. That's what he says. I want it to be right between us. Those words are very important to speak. 
You take the position of honesty. You say what is on your mind and heart to achieve. To the person with whom the relationship is broken, you tell them, I want us to be back together, healthy, and loving each other again. I want to find favor in your eyes. Honesty is the best policy, all right? The scripture says, when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. When you practice honesty with a person where the relationship is strained, you are following the will and purpose and clear instruction of God, and God is at work in the relationship, even as you are. When your ways please the Lord, God does this. He makes even your enemies to be at peace with you. I'm surprised at the honesty of Jacob, and yet I know it is a key. To every healed relationship, somebody must come clean. All of these things are important. The humble spirit, the servant heart, the honesty as you come. But there is another thing that outweighs them all, and it is in Jacob's heart, and it must be in yours. It is the key to reconciliation. I think it is fundamental to the healed relationship, and this is what it is. You must assume that grace position. The Lord has been gracious to me. You've got to start being grateful yourself for what God has done. And that's who Jacob is. He meets with Esau and he says, God has been gracious to me. He doesn't say, God has been good to me. You know, you could, you could misunderstand that. And I like to say, God is good. Okay, it's all right. But if I were in a relationship where I was seeking to, to repair a breach, I would want to use the word grace. Somebody might hear you say, well, God's been good to me, and they think, and you think you deserved it, you know? You're getting your, your proper payment because you've been so good, God's being back to you. But that's not the word Jacob uses. He says, these children are the gracious gift of God. All this stuff is the gracious gift of God. God has been gracious. That's the word grace to me. And grace is the unearned favor of God. And grace is the only reason you're in the room today, right? Is there any way that we'd be worshiping God without his grace? You've got to know where you came from. You've got to remember where you came from. I know for some of you, the wickedness of the other person is the barrier in your heart. They are just plain wicked people. And for you to initiate a humility and servant heart toward them just seems unimaginable. You've got to remember who you were when Jesus found you. Why do you have this forgiveness in your heart in the first place? 
because you've been forgiven. Sometimes we suppose that we've been so good that the forgiveness of God for us was not a real big effort for him. You know, when we got to, to Jesus, yes, we needed grace, but really not that much. We were in pretty good shape. We are not impressed with our own sinfulness. We do not remember how far we were from God or acknowledge it. There is this subtle sense of pride sometimes that remains even after we've come to Christ. And that too needs to go. We are as helpless as helpless can be. Every one of us, whether we were reared in a Christian home or grew up and went to Christian college, whoever we are, wherever we've been, we were as helpless as help, helpless could be. We could not come to Christ on our own. We needed the grace of God just as surely as anybody else on the planet. And his grace was sufficient for us, pouring down from heaven upon us. He forgave us when we did not deserve it. We had not earned it. In fact, we acknowledged it when we came to Christ. We said, I can't do this. I must receive what you alone can do in my heart. I need your forgiveness, God. I'm coming just like I am. I'm not bringing anything in my hands. I just need you to forgive me. And a gracious and wonderful God, whose loving kindness is better than life, said, yes to us, I will forgive you. And he extended his forgiveness toward us. He gave us his name, brought us into his family, adopted into the family of faith. He did this wonderful thing for us, something we could not do for ourselves. We have been forgiven this huge offense against a holy God and so received into his presence. And we can only extend to another the hand of reconciliation when we remember how far God reached to save us. And what we are doing in reconciliation is exactly what God did when he came all the way from heaven and initiated contact with us and brought us into his family by grace. Jesus wants to remind us of this, so he tells the parable of the debtor who had this huge debt that he could never repay. And the one to whom he owed the debt was ready to throw him in prison and he pled and said, oh, please forgive me. And so the master forgave all the debt. He went on his way and he found somebody who owed him five cents and beat him up and threw him in prison till he paid it all. And the master heard about it. And he was angry. I wonder if the master ever hears about us. I wonder if he ever looks down from heaven and sees us acting as if we've never been forgiven. The load was never taken off our soul. We've always been so good. Implying that we deserved the grace of God somehow. But other people don't. The only way to do the work of reconciliation is knowing 
who you are. Knowing that you were stuck in the miry clay like David the king said. No way out. And he reached down and lifted me up and put my feet on solid rock. Only from that position can the work of reconciliation be done. Paul, in fact, says that to us. In his letter to the Corinthians, where he says, we have been reconciled with God through this marvelous work of Christ. The costly sacrifice upon the cross was necessary, not for all the other sinners, but for David Crosby. Christ must die upon the cross. God must give his one and only perfect son for me. I can't do it on my own. That price is necessary for my salvation. And so God gives his wonderful son who lays down his life for me. And I am rescued from my sin and reconciled with God through Christ. And when I live in the glow of God's forgiveness and grace, and I remember every day what an undeserving sinner I was, rescued by the hand of God, then to me is committed the work of reconciliation in the world. So he says, God has reconciled you. And now it is your ministry. You have a ministry. What is the will of God for me? You have a ministry. The ministry of reconciliation. So that you are the peacemaker. You do the hard work of peacemaking in the office, in the school, where you work, in the family that you live in, in the circle of friends. It is you. You are the one who has the ministry of reconciliation. Because of all that God has done for you, you are ready then to humble yourself and serve and honestly speak the truth and live with a grateful heart. Maybe somebody in this place has yet to acknowledge the offense they committed against God. It's not unusual. For somebody who is still at odds to not be willing to acknowledge what they did. Our first step in the process of reconciliation with God ourselves is to say, I am a sinner. As surely as everyone else on the planet, I am. And my sin is an offense to God. And my sin stands between me and God. And I cannot make that right myself. It is me standing in the need of prayer. And when we come before the Father and say, it's me, God. I'm the sinner. I need your forgiveness. That's where reconciliation with God begins. And once that work is done, the Holy Spirit is turned loose to do His work through you. Let's bow together. Are you reconciled with God today? Or are you still swinging your fists at Him? Have you let Him in? Or are you still holding the door shut? What's going on in you? This would be a great day to say, Lord, as best I know how, I'm opening the door. I know I am a sinner and I need forgiveness. 
and my sin stands between me and you and I'm being honest and I'm coming with humility please forgive me and come into my life this would be a great day for you to be reconciled with God Lord I pray today for your Holy Spirit to do his work in us help us to listen I pray for that brother or sister who've never been reconciled with you before and pride still stands there, still resisting your grace. Lord, that they would surrender today to the truth of their condition and reach out for your grace. I pray today for brothers and sisters who need to do the work of reconciliation that, Lord, like Jacob, we would go on ahead and do what needs done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.